This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Another fortnightly Monday means a brand new episode of the Passion People podcast. On today's show, we are in conversation with David, who runs a chocolate factory out of Mysore, using local ingredients ranging from jamun and musambi and cocoa beans from Kerala, Tamil Nadu, and Kurg. Interested? Do you also want a seven percent discount on the chocolates that David makes? You can get all of that and more on today's episode. But before we get on with our episode, a quick shout out to our friends at the Writer and Geek Show. The Writer and Geek Show is a weekly podcast where you get to hear the brothers Vishnu and Shankar. Vishnu more than Shankar on most episodes. Ramble on curated topics that range from history to psychology to technology. Their latest episode was on ice cream. So you know. not too far from our conversation around chocolate with david today but anyway you can listen to and subscribe to the writer and geek show on any podcast app and never miss an update speaking of updates i have one myself we are going to hit 100000 plays very very soon so thank you for all your love and support and i'm sure you're going to be there with us when we hit 100 million do let me know how we can make the podcast better your insights and your feedback mean the world to us on with today's episode so first off david uh, thank you so much for making time uh, time for the podcast you know we've been uh, following your page and the work that you've been doing for quite a while now and i think it's really an honor and a privilege to showcase your story do you want to do a quick intro for our listeners yeah sure uh, my name is david bello i am a food and drink professional uh <laughs> cocktail bartender uh pastry chef chocolatier um founder of earthloaf artisan chocolates the first beans bar chocolate house in india um really kind of sort of kicked off the beans bar chocolate movement in india back in 2012 um just dedicated to the passion and uh yeah around food drink flavors and and bringing joy through 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 working with ingredients awesome awesome so uh What's your lead? Uh, if I can ask you what what your passion is, and what what would you answer me? Um, you know, to be honest with you, I, I'm really interested in harmony. Okay, it's a very broad idea, but um, I'm an ex musician. Um, I love maths, geometry, pattern, form, flavor, structure, etc. And I really feel that um, they are all really different branches of one one art. Okay. Um, so harmony is what really gets me interested. Uh, and and balancing things and how you bring balance into different things whether it's interior design whether it's um uh 2D design whether it's illustration whether it's a cocktail whether it's a dish whether it's a bar of chocolate um but of course I've I've chosen to express myself through the culinary arts okay. um and in particular chocolate has been my my platform for the last 6 years nice so uh, can you can you take us back to your uh, childhood uh, and your growing up days and uh, you know kind of walk us through your journey uh, to being here in mysore today sure yeah 31 years later um <laughs> so i i was born in uh the cape uh, i'm from cape town south africa 
Um, I come from a Portuguese immigrant family um, who moved to Africa in the 50s. Um, also spending a lot of time in Johannesburg and moved to London. Uh, went to school there um, at the age of 13. Kind of finished my schooling. I started my career in London, which is where I trained um, to be a bartender. Um, did the hard work, sweated, um, you know, started cleaning floors in, in the TGI Fridays in Piccadilly Circus. Uh, worked my way up, got trained, ended up being the head bartender at the Lab Bar or London Academy of Bartending, which was uh, one of the most prestigious sort of cocktail bars um, in London at the time. Wow. Um, yeah, I worked at the Café de Paris, um, in, in, used to run the members the members bar there. Um, my last project uh, in London was the Boys Del Canary Wharf, uh, which was the UK's biggest whiskey bar at the time. I helped in the opening team there, um, consultant consulted and supported um, uh, opening a nightclub for the Savoy Hotel in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that was my bartending journey. But I mean, it was a real kind of um, start from the bottom, work way up. Um, and, and what I love about London is it's an absolute meritocracy. Right. You will be valued on what you know and what you can do. And I think that's just such a healthy place to start right. in your career. Um, and and uh, so I was just really fortunate and very blessed to be surrounded by such a strong peer group. The cocktail bartending industry in London is a community first, really, and an industry second. And the standard being so high, you learn really fast being surrounded by very good people. So so that was that. And, you know, I kind of loved um, the environment, but it was very taxing, you know, working nights six, yeah. for six years. Um, I, I'm not going to pretend there were, weren't a few um, shots of Jägermeister in between. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think I just got a bit burnt out and needed a break. Um, oh. I, I actually started in that industry at the age of 16. Really in, early. Yeah, yeah, really early, start saving money for university, paid my way through uni, still whilst working simultaneously um, and building a career at the same time. Um, it, it was it was great, but it was hard work. And so by the age of 20, 22, after wrapping up my project in Egypt, just wanted to change and um, move to the English countryside, a town called Glastonbury in Somerset, uh, where I was offered a job to train up as a bread baker and pastry chef. And it was exactly what I was looking for. I was just looking for a platform to uh, use my skills as a bartender uh, in a non-alcoholic environment. <laughs> um, and, and just also, I think I'd reached a point in my bartending where I could have progressed, but it would have been rather auxiliary. Um, I felt to progress as a food and drink professional, I needed a new medium. Right. So getting away from cocktails, getting into bread um, was precisely that. And I could really see um, where, I, I could where I could transfer my skills as a bartender but at the same time, there were areas of, you know, um, being a complete beginner, which I really enjoyed. And I think as a creative professional or any professional, we have to keep challenging ourselves. Yeah. Otherwise, we become, we stagnate and we, we hold don't. on to, um, we hold on to what Stevie Wonder used to call pastime, pastime paradise. You know, uh, you, you can't, you can't remain and, and bathe in the glory of a time past. Today. You know, you're only as relevant as the quality of your work today. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's always been my thing about changing mediums. So, you know, today uh, making chocolate is, is an extension of that. Mm -hmm. Again, just taking what I learned from baking and moving to another platform and, and going deeper, learning more. Right, right. Uh, but why India and uh, why myself? Great question. Um, no idea. I'll let you know when I find out. No. Uh, great question. So after 11 years um, in the UK on and off, um, as an African with Mediterranean blood, I needed to go back to somewhere warm. I, I realized that all my business plans in England ended with the phrase, 
and then it runs by itself and then I go somewhere warm. And, and I just thought like, why waste five years, raise investment, work really hard, it may or may not happen to yeah. then go somewhere warm. I can just go somewhere warm now. Yeah. So um, I, was, I think I just really wanted to return to something that reminded me of home, somewhere with sunshine, tea and cricket. Um, and my girlfriend has suggested uh, India, starting in Mysore, um, having an affiliation with the Stanga Yoga um, schools that are in the city. Yeah. Uh, and it just ticked all my boxes. You know, I think the sunshine, tea and cricket metaphor is really just a place where, very similar to South Africa, but still an adventure, mm-hmm. still something different. You know, um, no man is a prophet in his own land. We, right. we learn when we are out of our comfort zone. We learn when we're not in our culture. Yeah. It makes us broader. Uh, and I think, you know, that, that's a very important tool for success is to be as broad as possible. Um, so it has been great. You know, it, it meant that I could incubate projects being, being a cheaper economy with far lower risk than had I remained in the UK. Right. And at that stage of my career, I wasn't really willing to take a 40,000 pound bank loan, potentially fail and then have to work another 10 years to pay it off. That, that right. wasn't okay for me. Uh, but, but in India, it meant that I could start really, really small, you know, low cost of living, uh, I mean, I, I paid myself, I mean, there, there was months where I'd live on, you know, 500 rupees a week mm-hmm. for, for months at a time. And you could afford to do that in a place like Mysore, you know, because yeah. we're not, when we say India, we're not talking Bombay and Delhi. Right. Mysore, a tier two city, you know, it's much, much more affordable. Um, and, and also the, there's, it's a, it's a low stress city. Yeah. So again, stress is another expenditure. It's an intellectual expenditure uh, as an as a professional or as an entrepreneur, and so in many ways, Mysore is low cost, both intellectually as well as financially. Right, and it also enables you to focus on the stuff that you want to focus. The stuff on, that right? matters. You're not yeah. focusing on traffic. You're not focusing on bad pavements. Uh, you're not focusing on smog. You know, you're not focusing on <laughs> water. Water. You know, just a bunch of well, yeah, as a Cape Town, you're not focusing on water. Um, there's there's just a lot of things, and I think. Startups, everyone knows startups are hard, man. Mm-hmm. Like startups are really, really hard. Uh, so you need the, the most distilled focus as possible. Yeah. You know, myself coming from another country, coming to India, new culture, there's already a lot of challenges. There's a language barrier, yeah. there's cultural mm-hmm. barriers, you know. So I already was preoccupied outside of my work on other things, which are really important to get right, you know, cult- yeah. integrate with the culture here, understand, etc. find, you know, commonalities with everyone, etc. So, um, yeah, my sort of just made that whole process much easier, allowed me to focus on, on what was important. Right, right. And uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, where Earthloaf is today. Okay. So, we, you know, and how, uh, uh, what, how you started and a little bit of background of the company. Definitely. I mean, first of all, everyone knows it's a strange name for a chocolate brand. Um, we started actually as an Earthloaf bakery um, in, in London. It was a home bakery, uh, and then we we're renting a kitchen, supplying pubs, restaurants, cafes, farmers markets, etc. Okay. Um, but it was really an ideology. So the ideology of Earthloaf was a balance between traditional artisan craftsmanship in food and contemporary nutritional wisdom, okay. and that was kind of the ethos behind my baking, bringing the best of both worlds. Um, and you know, we we moved to India, accidentally discovered cocoa growing. I had no idea there was cocoa in Asia. Um, realized that if you wanted to live here, business visas would be easier for a business visa needed a company. What company? Right, let's start making artisan chocolate bean to bar in India. Um, that's how Earthloaf Chocolate um, started. But it was still a continuation of that original idea mm-hmm. of craftsmanship um, uh, married with nutritional wisdom. Hence, we co-process our cocoa, uh, keep all the enzymes alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use coconut sugar, sweetened our chocolate, which is minerally rich, low glycemic, etc., so without progressing on that, um, yeah, that, that, that's really kind of where we started. 
um, we, we, we got a little workshop, a little shed that belonged to a friend. Uh, we, we had just enough money for a single wet grinder, a Dosa Italy wet grinder. Okay. Um, which, which a lot of like small chocolate makers are using. Um, and we were making three kilos a week, everything by hand. Um, ended up building a winnowing machine from PVC pipes and masking tape. That took about a year to get that design right. Wow. A lot of masking tape and a lot of tears and a lot of cocoa <laughs> beans later. Um, and about nine months into trials, after setting up the legal entity, the private limited company, um, we went to Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And all our friends who had suffered from our experiments, we asked for the goodness of their hearts to give us um, a little bit of a donation. Uh, and we ended up raising £3,300 um, pretty much a year after incorporating the company. And that, was, that closed in September 2013. Okay. From there, we moved out of our kitchen in Gokulam, Mysore, to a little workshop, a shed in Hebal Industrial Area. Um, and that is where we are sitting today, six years on. Um, we launched the market in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were the first Indian uh, made chocolate uh, to win a Great Taste Award from the Gal Dapan Food in the UK. That was last year. Thank you. Um, we really have brought Bean to bar and artisan chocolate to the forefront in the Indian imagination on the domestic market. Us and a few uh, partners, sister brands, um, who also you know credit to them as well. We're not we've not been on this uh, alone. Um, whilst at the same time, really trying to establish chocolate making as a respectable career that can be learned on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it, it's it's just been a whole interesting journey. Um, but yeah, we've we've gone into a place where we're sort of a a, a rebel underground brand that's appreciated by the few, not by the many, but, but you know, a 5,000 strong customer base of diehard fans who love what we do. Sure. Um, and we've really made an effort to work with either indigenous or local ingredients, you know, uh, things that are interesting and that are very specific to the subcontinent. Mm-hmm. You're never going to find hazelnut chocolate coming out of Earth Loaf. You know, we, we work with jamun and wasambi <laughs> and uh, capsicum and pineapple and, and coffee from Chikmangalore and... Uh, you know, so that's kind of uh, my approach. So, I mean, that's definitely um, an extension of my cocktail bar sending years working and balancing flavors. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to create, you know, we wanted to talk about the, the terroir, the influence um, of flavor from soil and climate on cocoa from India, mm-hmm. which is very unique, very different from Africa and South America, um, uh, as well as Indian ingredients and really show the world that, you know, the subcontinent is an extremely, extremely rich place. Yeah. Full of amazing ingredients, etc. But um, we wanted to bring those ingredients with the kind of value addition, the kind of attitude to production that you see in Italy, mm-hmm. or you see in Japan, you know, that finesse. And, and it's not an easy thing to do, Absolutely. you know, but, um, but the subcontinent is, is extremely rich. And I think, you know, we really wanted to change people's perception of like Made in India. Mm-hmm. And that was before, you know, the Made in India campaign started. Right. So it's been really nice that kind of politics has followed with our mandates. Um, <laughs> And, and there's a lot of Made in India pride right now, as right. we've seen. And I mean, you know, what, what, what the kind of creative products that we were seeing coming out of the country, I think, you know, 15 years ago to mm-hmm. what we see today, just chalk and cheese. Yeah. The talent was always here, but maybe, you know, issues of lack of access to market, etc. You're seeing young people who are well qualified to do various things, turning, turning in a direction of, of, of creativity and producing phenomenal fashion, phenomenal food, phenomenal architecture even. You know, like, the country's on fire right now with young creative talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, it's really nice to just be a, a really tiny piece of that broader ecosystem. That's so really that's nice. Where that's where we are right now, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, moving to a new country, starting something new, always so-called pivoting from, you know, a, a, a media session to the other. Yeah. I think 
all of this requires a, a different mindset I, i call it the entrepreneur's mindset where uh, you know you're you're always willing to take risks you're always willing to fail but you know you need to look at things a little differently in order to cultivate that mindset you want to can i talk to us a little bit about it definitely you know i mean i think i'm quite like i said quite blessed um you know my grandparents are from madeira portugal my mother was born in zimbabwe myself in cape town um so being three generations of immigrants we kind of kind of grew up with that thing of being adaptable okay and i realized very very early on that what's meant to be is up to me not my circumstances you know not i mean i was blessed to have a good education but i went to a government school in london uh, an inner city um uh, government school so i i went to a very good school in in the in, in south africa but so i've kind of seen both worlds um and i and i just realized that you know ultimately you have to be dexterous you have to be mobile you have to be psychologically mobile you have to be malleable you have to be adaptable and you also have to find the common denominator so you know in india common denominator is common law the english language um as i said earlier sanchanti and cricket etc and those are really metaphors for how to interact with people who on the surface might seem very different to you yeah. their culture is different uh in many different ways or their approach to life is different but ultimately there are certain constants and i think the entrepreneur has to find that constant and he he has to learn how to be a local in any land mm-hmm. and you have to and actually i'm very lucky as a cocktail bartender anyone is way to tables with only the same thing you have to learn how to build rapport within seconds right when you come to me at the bar we have to be best friends for 15 years within the space of a couple of minutes that's my job and you're going to keep on coming back week in week out right because you're going to go see you know your brother david and you know you're going to catch up and and it becomes family right it's not really about the transaction mm-hmm. if you as an entrepreneur have a transactional mindset purely of course you do that but purely um you will miss out on those nuances that give you the long game right so i'll give an example you know so I, when i moved here um i started learning canada Mm-hmm. Uh, not only because life gets 20% cheaper in Kanazaka if you see the language <laughs> but it it also cuts through cultural barriers you know i there's certain things when people transliterate when you're talking to someone in their second language and it's your first language so talking to someone whose first language is kind of the second language is english english is my first language and they transliterate from their mother tongue some things could sound rude or offensive to me right and myself coming from the streets of london you know i'm like hang on oh, what did you just say you know and then but when you start learning the language you understand oh no hang on in canada that's completely polite right, 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 you right. know so you save a lot of tension just by making an effort to learn the language mm-hmm. that's on an everyday level uh, on a border level you know i remember applying for our vat number okay uh which we have to have by law and after several applications for an appointment at the local vat office etc we went down there and uh, myself and my, my accountant and they straight up said to me in my face david we don't give vat numbers to farms and i was like but, but by law you have to and like we know the law we don't care then i started speaking to him in canada we had a half an hour half an hour conversation in my broken canada not perfect whatever but but the whole thing in canada and i think you know he saw then he has a guy from the other side of the planet who's made an effort to speak in my language yeah. vat number sources within half an hour you know nelson mandela said you speak to a man in a language understands you speak to his mind speak to him in his language speak to his heart and i really live by that and i think that's an extension broadly speaking of my entrepreneurial mindset mindset finding the commonalities between markets finding the commonalities between people finding the commonalities between supply and demand ratios right you know uh, and being adaptable not being bothered about circumstances and i think as an entrepreneur in india circumstances are changing so rapidly india is a vastly vigorously transforming country 
we went from 14% VAT to 28% GST overnight last year. Demonetization, massive changes in policy. You know, the, the New Companies Act in 2013. It's just been an onslaught of policy changes. Yeah. Has it affected me? No. It's affected revenue, but it hasn't affected me. You know, and I think that's really, really important. Like I said, you, you internalize your success and failure. Mm-hmm. It's not about anyone or any, anyone else. Yes, those things contribute to challenges, but it's how you deal with challenges. So I think that's really important. And that's, I think I've been lucky with my kind of backgrounds to kind of prepare me for that. Right, right. I think uh, you, you can also extend that logic to, you know, a creative endeavor or an artistic endeavor or anything new that you can take up as a passion, right? It could yeah. be a dance, it could be singing. But you, you need to be willing to put in the work. You need to be willing to see that, you know, how does this stack up with my existing skills? 100%. I think there's two components um, to success. Uh, one is skill and the other one is hustle. Mm-hmm. Because a highly skilled person without hustle doesn't get noticed, doesn't get anywhere. And a, and a person who knows how to hustle really well but with no skill will get somewhere for five minutes. But they won't survive the long game unless they are, you know, a master hustler. Um, and, and few really are. You know, they are there. But, but most people don't really survive long term without both. You know, and I, and I remember playing in, in bands and being signed to an indie label, you know, making good music was as important as was, you know, being around the right places and the right gigs and, and meeting the right contacts, etc. Um, so I think, yeah, if, if you're really looking to be a successful creative professional, um, which for me is just the golden standard in, in, in career choice, mm-hmm. mixing your passion with your work. And, and I've been blessed to be surrounded by a lot of talented people in my life, um, from professional skateboarders to chefs, etc., um, you've got to do both mm-hmm. you, and you've got to be willing to put yourself out there in, but in a way that yes you show people your skill but you're also constantly challenging yourself and you're constantly improving on what you think you know right. the moment you think you've got it down and you've got your skill down it's over yeah. we were also uh, you know earlier earlier when we met you you were, you were talking to me about how people are uh, looking for an overnight success yeah. And uh, you know, do you want to speak to us a little bit more about uh, that as well? About what I call the Instagram professional. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think like we have to be real about social media. Like there's a lot of pressure to be active on social media. Um, if you look at our social channels, something I've only really taken up the last couple of years. But uh, first of all, I think social media should never be the party. Social media should be the postcard. It should never be the holiday. You know, so the holiday should be real life and social media is the postcard. That represents the holiday. The moment you make social media the experience, uh, you've just lost 95% of what's available as the experience. Uh, so let's that, take that now to the working world and being a professional and, and getting, getting yourself out there. At the end of the day, you're going to get a lot more value in exchange from your customer base or your client base or your fan base or whoever your target audience is by dealing with them face-to-face than you are through a social platform because social platforms are fickle. Yeah. And it's very hard to, to, to actually merit, so, sorry, to, um, to measure the, the engagement. A like is a like is a like. Some people flick through likes, some people like because they, they're genuinely inspired by, by what you've done. Whereas in human engagement, physical engagement, you can really measure the extent to which someone is, is inspired, taken back, or whether you, you can actually measure the, the extent of the value you've, you've given to that individual. Don't forget, being in business is about adding value. An entrepreneur's yeah. job is to add value. You receive value and you offer value. So that, that's your metric. Every step, every move that you make, that's your metric. You know, your ability to add value to your team members, to your staff, to your audience, to the government, 
everyone. And I think a lot of people are basically looking at what are essentially curated experiences in social media mm-hmm. that don't really represent, but that definitely don't represent the entire journey, all the ups and downs, the failures as well as the successes, uh, the dirt as well as the polish. And then those who are seeing that, that representation of a career get a vastly misguided sense of, of what's actually happening. Right. And the same way we need to be discerning about the news and the media and other things, you also have to be discerning about what we see in social media. And if you build your career about, uh, based on that expose, you're, you're, you're never going to get the tools. And in fact, you know, we really have to get smart because the smart ones realize that, hang on, man, this is, this is curated. Yeah. You know, and, and those who are willing to go beyond the superficial um, representation of, of a craft, mm-hmm. you know, because we're talking about creative professionals now, uh, and put in the hard work and sweat and work long hours and get skilled and take feedback and take a knock to the ego yeah. and, and expose themselves um, to, to ridicule, etc. Be humble enough to find someone else more experienced and say, yo, what do you think about my work? Tell me straight, etc. Instead of, ah, oh, babes, that's amazing, which is what you're going to get from your social media influencers, etc. Right, right. You know, those people are winning and they want you to think that the opposite is true. Yeah. The ones who are working hard want you to stick on Instagram and Instagram alone and, and do your, all your work from there and be on Instagram more than you're in the kitchen or more than you're on the, in the gym or more than you're on the, on the track and field course or more than you're on the photography studio. You know, that's, that's the current um, state of affairs, you know, and I think like that's the con. Mm-hmm. There's always a hustle and there's always a con. You know, that's cool. I, I'm cool with that. And that, like, I'm lucky to be a kind of a pre-social media generation. Like, you know, I'm young enough, obviously, to be very comfortable with social media. But when I started, you know, bar backing in a restaurant, mopping floors, cleaning glassware, packing beers into fridges, etc., lugging, you know, 50 kilos of ice around, there was no one, you know, taking selfies of that. Uh, <laughs> and there was no glamour, really. Yeah. It was just like, yo, work hard, own the respect of your peers who know more than you. And if you've earned their respect, they will teach you what they know. Right. And I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. And and we've I don't know if we've had a couple of interns. Um, and bless them, you know, they they've all tried. Some have just been better than others. Some have understood this better than others. They've all wanted some piece of what this industry has to offer. You know, obviously they're sort of in our case enterprise um, enterprising uh, pastry chefs. But most of them want to do all the really cool rad fun stuff without like putting the work in. And it's yeah. like, well, if you haven't earned my respect. Why am I going to teach you what I've taken me 15 years to learn? Yeah. And you are, you know, your network is your network. You know, the, the, the good people around you who have something to learn will accelerate your path and your journey. Absolutely. Absolutely, right? So if you surround yourself by other wannabe um, social media archetypes mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, the, 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 Insta, the Insta pastry chef or the Facebook ballerina, etc., those people know as much as you do and they're not going to help you grow. Yeah. I think you have to be discerning. You really have to be discerning. It's the fast track. Mm-hmm. The, the long and hard is actually the fast track. I, I think it's just a shift in the mindset that, you know, uh, of the of the people listening in that need to, uh, that need to be accelerated, right? They need Definitely. to all, they need to think that the, the work, the hard work and the toil is the fast track. And it is the fast track. That's what I'm saying, right? Like you said, that, that is the fast track. There is no, there's nothing else. There's Like why waste five years of your life figuring that out? Yeah. When you can just start working hard now. Exactly. And, and really, unfortunately for me, right, I I only realized this a couple of years back. Right. And you know, then and, and the the more I talk to people about it, the more I realize that you know you have to have that you have to play the long game. 
you're not going to be successful in a year you're not going to be successful in two years yeah. it, it is going to take its own sweet time and you have to work for it absolutely you know i and i think i want to touch on something else which i think is very specific um to india mm-hmm. i know a lot of your listeners um are here and it's a tricky subject but i mean i'm just i'm just going to tear into it to be honest so i have a friend who is a well known celebrity chef mm-hmm. um he his his company consults as well as managers and and, and builds restaurants across india as well as in singapore um and, and he's very well known in the food press um and he's been in the game so he went to he comes from a very very good family his father was a military man um and he went to a very very expensive school up in the northeast of the country and one day the parents were invited in at the end of their studies to see what they've been working on and him being an aspiring chef at a time when there were no chefs in india i mean the, the gentleman is now in his 50s i think probably early 50s so you know we're going back now 30 years there were only cooks in india mm-hmm. those who prepared food were cooks there was no master chef at that time and he turns his parents turn up and his dad his old man sees him flipping fulkas mm-hmm. uh chapati type thing under a shed with steam everywhere and i mean according to him his father's face went white and he realized that he spent all of his money on his son's education to flip fulka <laughs> and what you have there is the um the tension between class expectation and passion mm-hmm. and i think that's a real tension for a lot of people in india because you've got such a huge class spectrum yeah which is fine it's natural you know we're an emerging country we're changing growth is happening the middle class is growing at a huge rate so equality will come but it's coming so if you luckily lucky enough to come from a privileged background and you've had a good and expensive education you know there's expectations on you because your parents have worked very hard to get you into that education so people feel that they can't go and flip fulkas they can't go and mop the floor now this gentleman his father realized how passionate his son was sent him to italy to go train in a culinary school and of course italy had culinary schools in the 70s and the 80s right. and he did very well and he was able to then you know he he worked abroad and then he came back and he opened up restaurants and he you know at that time the only place you could be a career chef was in a five star obviously the scenario has changed we went to five stars built his name and then built his restaurants subsequently to that so he's done extremely well and now his father's proud mm-hmm. you know he's got a huge company with many properties etc and he's got an army of young chefs working under him who will be the next generation right but he had to flip focus first mm-hmm. you know and he had to break with convention yeah convention of what his society and his community around him expected of him had he turned up to a culinary school in italy not being willing to do the dirty work he would have been kicked out the door yeah and we you know because obviously europe being more um more equal as a society people with good education are expected to mop the floor and i think that's hard for a lot of young kids that i meet you know some of them even have mbas and they want to be a pastry chef and that's cool because they're following their passion but they want to go train in in a fancy in cordon bleu in paris or london for a month and then come back and say i've trained in paris like hang on mate what did you do in paris do you know what i mean like <laughs> you go do the hard work first and you do it for three years and then come back and start to talk about setting up your own brands mm-hmm. because your brand is going to fail and you got to and 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 if you're in a position where you can get investment from your parents and your family and you let them down because you took that investment too early and you decided to be an entrepreneur too early in your career then you haven't done the hard slog um everyone suffers so i i just really want to talk to people about thinking long term and understanding that there is glory in humility mm-hmm. you know and we have to learn to be humble magnificent we have to learn to allow our magnificence to shine in menial work right Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And break down inequality, men, the mental concepts of inequality, break down class structures, 
um, by thinking ourselves above a certain person because that person is mopping the floor. No. Get yeah. down and mop the floor yourself yeah. and realize that there's beauty in that because if the floor is dirty, we can't do great chocolate. We can't do great music. We can't, you know, and I think Japanese culture is really interesting like that. You know, they really imbibe that into their, into their culture mm-hmm. that uh, no work is higher or lower. Yeah. And my great metaphor for this, I'll just close this thought on, on, on this point. The Parthenon in Greece has stood for a couple of thousand years. When that was built, every single person was paid the same salary from a bricklayer to the architect. And they were paid the equivalent of a parliamentarian for that time, which is one drachma um, uh, uh, a month, I think it was. And the Parthenon still stands. And that, for me, is a great metaphor for what happens where you have um, equality and equality mindset, where you realize that there's glory in all jobs. Because when you realize that you're free, then you're like, yeah, I, I, I do this and I do the menial work, etc. But, you know, at the same time, you're earning the respect of your peers. Yeah. You have something to teach you. So, yeah, I think cut to the chase. Work, start, start, start playing the long game and work hard from day one right. instead of trying to game the system. I was, uh, I was reading this, a similar analogy where, uh, you know, there was a different in, difference in mindset amongst a couple of stonemasons okay. where one of them is talking about how he's always building a beautiful statue or he's making a wonderful building. And uh, the other one is just focusing on the drudgery of, you know, blow after blow after blow, right? So, I, I guess it's also how you're able to recalibrate yourself to see the bigger picture. 100%. Right? 100%. What you're physically doing is completely is completely secondary to your perspective of what you're doing. Right. So, that was something. And you also spoke to us about doing all of these multiple things, right? Or, but... There, there, there is a mindset amongst people that if I'm, if I'm doing something, I need to, I need to go deep in it. Like there's, there's less value attributed to going broad, and more value attributed to going deep. But I've always experienced that going broad means that there is a cross pollination of the things that you've learned with one another. Definitely. I mean, you know, I've gone deep in food and drink mm-hmm. by going broad. You know, because had I just stuck with mixed drinks and cocktails, you know, uh, yes, natural progression, I could have looked at wines or spirits and distillation, etc. But I understood more about whiskey once I became a bread baker because I was dealing with the fermentation of cereals and grains. Mm-hmm. I was understanding protein compounds, microbiology, etc. And these are all big components in that. So by going broad, I did get inevitably go deep, but I did stay within my realm, which is food and drink. Okay. However... That's it. You know, I studied sound engineering at, at college um, uh, and, and music production. My understanding of levels and frequencies in music translates into my ability to balance flavors. Wow. Yeah, because just a sense of balance, you know. So sour notes on the palate, mm-hmm. to me, in my brain, are the equivalent of high notes of, say, a flute or, 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 or an electric guitar um, playing, playing the, the top strings, mm-hmm. etc. Um, whereas, you know, Flavors like cocoa or butter represent bass for me. The more heavier, the more heavier frequencies. And I, and I, like I said to you, my 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 passion is harmony. Mm-hmm. So you understand now that I see everything or interpret everything as frequencies. Same with colors. Same with light, etc. Right, right. So I do. You know, the ancient Egyptians, for example, said that there was just one science. They considered mathematics, geometry, um, architecture, um, all those things as extensions of the one science. They didn't break them down like we do today. It's a very Western, Western concept, uh, the, the, the compartmentalization of, of, of subjects. So, I mean, it's a tricky one because I also understand that sometimes if you don't go deep, you miss out. 
I think everyone has a dream in life, personally, and I think you have to keep on following inspiration. To be honest, I know what leads you. So, if inspiration leads you to go abroad, go abroad. If it leads you to go deep and you're just obsessed with something, then just be obsessed. I think it's really that simple. But there's no question that the broader you are, the more you can bring into your game. And it can also take you, you can take out the boxer. Because, say, I came from chocolate. Say, I went to pastry school and I came from chocolate originally. The kind of work that I'm doing today would be vastly different to what I actually am doing, which is unique to my background. So, in terms of originality, yes, going broad is. Like, you're going to be the most original. 100%. And I'm sure there's filmmakers we could look at. I'm not much of a film lover, but I'm sure there's filmmakers we could look at and musicians and other people that, that would show us that. And I'm sure entrepreneurs too. Yeah. yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, uh, David, while uh, you're reaching towards the end of the podcast, we, we do a couple of standard questions. Cool. Uh, you know, coming, uh, coming to the first uh, standard question, uh, I think uh, one, of the, one of the more pertinent questions is uh, how, do you, how do you deal with fear, uh, especially the fear of failure? Because you're, you're always taking risks, you're always doing something new. So you need to have a framework for dealing with fear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the fear of failure, I deal with in a very simple way. Um, everything is going to be okay. You just have to tell yourself that. Um, and I'll give you a very literal example. Uh, last year, we um, were hit by the GST. You know, our, ta- our, our sales tax got doubled. Um, a month, two months later, we had a factory fire, which took us out of operation for two months. Uh, then I had a very tragic death in the family um, under very difficult circumstances. Uh, and then we had a huge UK order get cancelled. All this happened within the space of four months. Tough, right? I'm still smiling. You know, because ultimately I've made the choice not to compromise in my life. I love what I do, you know, and I think that very, very um, discerning decision making that I've made around my life choices, I, I know what I want out of life. Um, I'm, you know, money is important, but ultimately my biggest currency that pays me back is doing what I enjoy and in the context that I enjoy. So I think that love for what I do cancels out the fear. And cancels out the anxiety because the two frequencies are not mutually sustainable. Right. It's got to be one or the other. And I think, like in your day to day, you know, I, I don't do chocolate all day. I do spend a lot of time behind the laptop. I do have to look at the finances and the budgeting and you know, staff management and HR, the rest of it. But so I think I've had to learn to focus on the things in my day to day that give me that love, give me that passion, give me that joy. Mm-hmm. Because if I do the things that are technically important only. But not the things that keep that fire inside of me alive. That's when they, you set up the seed for the fear and anxiety. Well, I think a lot of people fail. Tell us a little bit about how your day typically is. So, uh, I mean, I wake up at five in the morning. Uh, I used to practice a lot of yoga. Not so much anymore. I tend to go swimming now. Um, so I'll be in the pool by seven. Um, and I do like a kilometer, get out, be done by eight. Um, and get to work by about 8.30. Uh, it's the summer months now, so for chocolate making, um, all my team starts at 7 in the morning. Uh, during the cooler hours of the day, we can be more productive and close at 4. So I'll be on site at about 8.30. Morning emails, check up with the team. I really encourage my, um, my, my staff to have a plan. So instead of telling them what to do, I ask them, what's your plan for the day? Um, and I've, and I've encouraged them to have their collective meetings, etc. because they need to. They, they, they really need to be empowered to make their own decisions. So just check with the day's planning. And then I'll have my list of priorities. And I have to, like most people, prioritize um, the difference between what's urgent and what's important. 
We all have to do that. And there's a lot of what I call managing the DSTs, the daily stupid things. Mm-hmm. Those things which clog up all your time but are absolutely unfundamental to your business and your growth. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now we're going through an investment round and I'm just basically working on that, making sure our, our books and our paperwork is in order for the investors as we're negotiating. Um, uh, we've just done a procurement analysis where we're going to get a bunch of equipment that's really going to improve the quality of our work. Um, and that's it. But it can go from that to the next day, uh, being in the kitchen in the morning, working on R&D. I'll have an idea for a flavor. Um, and I know that I need to execute on those ideas and test them before yeah. they leave me. Um, so I'll be there immediately in the kitchen with my guys. So it really just depends what the focus is. Um, so yeah, I move between uh, being in the kitchen and the creative side to administration uh, and finance to um, sales and marketing. Pretty much everything. <laughs> All of it, yeah. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. Uh, any any good books that you're reading that you would like to recommend? Uh, I really do recommend anyone um, starting as a creative professional or as an entrepreneur get into the Abraham Hicks stories, the law of attraction. Okay. It is vital. Um, whether you you know believe in metaphysics or not, that's fine. But it really shows you, I think, how attitude maketh the success. Hundred percent. I, I think everyone that should be taught in schools personally. And and you see and like once you've been reading and working with that material, you see how other people are sabotaging themselves without even realizing it. Yeah. Number one, I, I'm a big fan of Gary Vanderchuk. I don't believe every I don't agree with everything that comes out of his mouth but I think he's such a force of positive hustling energy yeah. like if I'm having a down day it'll be a combination of like London hardcore punk music and Gary Vanderchuk and I'm set <laughs> up for the day you know um you know I mean I was a punk rock skateboarder growing up so I mean like all of that kind of like falls to the wall like just go for it um I I think that's good and and, and especially like living in my sort of tier two city I don't have a lot of creative professionals around me right. so Internet, uh, the internet gives me access to the energy that I need from individuals, even even if I haven't met them. You know? right. uh, and I think that's really, really important. Um, other books, I mean, I loved um, Fab India's um, uh, Fabric of Our Lives, the biography of Fab India. It really gave me a lot of context, especially as an entrepreneur in India. Mm-hmm. It made me realize that my problems are tiny and that all problems are not, you know, problems are not insurmountable. Uh, right. There are solutions. Um, the uh, Oboy book, Dare to Dream, uh, about the founder of, of the Oberoi Hotel mm-hmm. Group. Amazing book. I mean, talk about a comeback. That guy, you know, a setback is a setup for a comeback for that guy. I mean, he was just unbelievable, Mr. Mm-hmm. Oberoi. So, yeah, I think those are my, 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 big, my t- big two books plus any, any podcast um, or video cast from, from Gary Vanderchuk. Loads of fun. How do you feel about being featured on, on the podcast? Ah, fantastic. Fantastic. You know, I, I live and die for, for, for business and for, for, for creative business. And I, and I really feel that entrepreneurialism is a place where capitalism can be executed with the heart. You know, mm-hmm. I think people have a lot of bad things to say about capitalism, but I think it just has to be guided by a good conscience. Uh, and I'm stoked to, you know, if anyone can take anything positive away from what I'm saying and it, and it kind of reassures their doubts that, you know, their passions are valid. And their inspiration is valid, and and there is a place for it to succeed. And they can take that away from this talk. Then then I've done my job. You know, I, I'm really really happy because I needed those people. I need those voices. Right. And, and I think every generation has a responsibility to hand the baton on to the next. Right. Then thank you for taking time for for making that happen. A pleasure, an absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> thank you. Uh, last uh, last question, David. So uh, how how can people reach you in case they want to you know, maybe just want to have a conversation? They want to get to know you a little better, or maybe. Uh, they're trying to figure out something new or they want to maybe be an intern uh, with Earthloaf. The best thing I think is just to send us a private message on our Instagram profile at okay. Earthloaf. Uh, my inbox is like Niagara Falls. So don't bother sending me anything there. It's, it's so much to get through every day. 
Um, and I'm not much um, of a phone person. Okay. So better just through Instagram, private message. Um, interns, we have a season, so, so reach out to us. We're much more interested in people who actually want to come and work for a year. Okay. And, and do career building with us. Okay. You know, and learn on the job and we, and we taste chocolate from around the world every month. And, you know, like we're all about the learning here. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's on the job learning. So those sorts of guys definitely reach out. People who like want entrepreneurial advice, reach out on Instagram. I'll be honest, like I am busy. Okay. If I've got time, definitely. If I don't have time, then just keep on pestering me until I do. Um, but, but yeah, you know, I think maybe we're, we're hoping to set up a cafe in Mysore. So we might actually set up an entrepreneurial forum where we have like a meeting brief once a month. Okay. Um, so it'd be like a live TED talk on, on entrepreneurialism. And that I think is a better platform. So just stay in touch with that. Just keep, stay tuned for that. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm sure a lot, you're going to, uh, hopefully you'll get a lot of people reaching out to you. Fun and negative. And that's a wrap, guys. Thank you for tuning in to our yet another episode of the Passion People podcast. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with David as much as we did interviewing him and learning from his insights. I'd like to thank Kritika for her help in editing the podcast and writing up the show notes. Shankar from the Writer and Geek Show for creating our beautiful jingle that you're listening to currently. Audio platforms, Storio, Castbox and Savan for featuring us, Audioboom for hosting us, Bharat Ganesh for his graphics design, Saif Omar and Vishnu from the Musafar Stories and the Writer and Geek Show for their inputs and insights that have made our episode better today. This is Naga signing off. Until next time.